Can I rant for a sec? Please. Pay apps are way too public. What happened? Some rando hearted a payment from five months ago, and I realized people can see my entire history, who I'm paying, like full names. It's super weird. Yeah, it's weird. How are you paying your friends then? Apple Cash. It's all in messages. You can literally send cash like a text, and it stays between friends. Random people can't see it. Did you just pay me a dollar on Apple Cash? <laughs> Services are provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Terms apply. Imagine you're a fly on the wall at a dinner between the mafia, the CIA, and the KGB. That's where my new podcast begins. This is Neil Strauss, host of To Live and Die in L.A., and I wanted to quickly tell you about an intense new series about a dangerous spy taught to seduce men for their secrets and sometimes their lives. From Tenderfoot TV, this is To Die For. To Die For is available now. Listen for free on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. Oh, hi, I'm Rachel Zoe, and my podcast, Climbing in Heels, is back and better than ever. You might know me from the Rachel Zoe Project or perhaps from my work as a celebrity stylist. And guess what? I'm still just as obsessed with all things fashion, beauty, and business. Climbing in Heels is all about celebrating the stories of extraordinary women, and this season is here to bring you a weekly dose of glamour, inspiration, and fun. Listen to Climbing in Heels every Friday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Ridiculous Crime is a production of iHeartRadio. Hey, Zarin. What's up, Elizabeth Dutton? Uh, nothing much. You know it's ridiculous. Oh, girl, I do. Do you know that Keanu Reeves almost changed his name once because he was debating whether he should be Keanu Reeves or Chuck Spadina? Chuck Spadina? Yes. I'm so glad he did not <laughs> change his name. Well, he was like sitting there at the beginning of his career. People were like, Keanu. This yeah. is like, you know, the late 80s for him. And he's mm-hmm. like, they're like, that's just so hard to spell. And no, you need something strong like Chuck Spadina. Chuck. Well, that's actually what he came up with. That Chuck was his Spadina idea. is on par with Regina Corntower. Oh, my God. It's up there. It's Totally up there. But he also had other options. There was also Templeton Page Taylor for a much more right down the middle of the road name. Templeton Page Taylor? Yeah. I don't know. So anyway, I I debated this uh, when I started my professional career Mm -hmm. because I have the same name as my father. So I was like, oh, I could totally change my name. But uh, I I decided against it because I could not think of a name to use. I honestly, so I'm impressed that he did it for like, you know, good reasons. He's like, I want to honor my Chinese uh, heritage. And I want to keep my Hawaiian descent name. And they're like, oh, okay, I respect that. I respect that. Yeah. Me? I was just like, I can't think of anything. I guess going with Zarin. <laughs> Put a three I'm after glad it. you use Zarin for your public-facing life. Yeah, so that's life. it. Both of us have ridiculous. I have a ridiculous name that I use, and he has a ridiculous story why he doesn't have a name. I that's like dumb. it. So I like go. it. That's ridiculous. Uh, you know what else is ridiculous? Oh, I'm here for it. Kidnapping a high-profile preacher from the sunny waters of the Pacific Ocean. Ooh. This is Ridiculous Crime, a podcast about absurd and outrageous capers, heists, and cons. It's always 99% murder-free and 100% ridiculous. Zarin. Elizabeth. Uh, did you watch the Perry Mason reboot on HBO? Oh, hell yeah. I, mean, I, loved I don't. That show. I don't watch TV, but I loved it. Yeah, well, I, I watch TV. I can tell you all <laughs> it's about so it. so good. It's... Oh, you, you loved it too. Okay. Yeah, I did. So you, you did see like through like what? I... Like through windows when you were walking the dog? Like, Remote how'd... viewing. Like I just closed mm, my eyes. And, mm, yeah. Interesting. Um, there's a character on that show called Sister Alice McKeegan. Yeah, uh-huh. Evangelical preacher. She started and runs the Radiant Assembly of God on the show. Right. And she had a mom, Bertie McKeegan, who was like the schemer behind the scenes, acts as like a puppet master and all the corruption in the church. You're doing really good for someone who doesn't watch TV. I know. Isn't that crazy? Um, They're like carnival folk turned religious. Yeah. And they pull off, quote unquote, miracles, put on spectacles, Mm -hmm. all with their hands out for a donation. All very 1930s. Very much. So this mother-daughter team on the show was a corrupt version of real life people. Uh, Amy Semple McPherson, <laughs> sister Amy, and ah. her mother Minnie Kennedy. Ah, yeah. So well, the, the Amy Semple that that name rings a vague, vague. Bell. Yeah, sister Amy. Yeah, we'll call her down in L.A. You hear that? Oh, you do. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you'll. She's hot and heavy down in L.A. Oh, word. So uh, she was born in Canada in 1890. Aye. Uh Mom, super religious. 
all in like the Salvation Army, but like even further, like she was hardcore radicalist Salvation Army, I guess. <laughs> okay. She was like a mercenary Salvation Army. <laughs> Did she have a denomination that she was fighting for or just the Salvation Army? Salvation Army. Okay. She was fighting for your souls, Aaron. Okay. Well, hey. um, Amy rebelled from that, but then eventually came back to the fold and understood that her calling was preaching. Hmm, so she started preaching at tent revivals all over the United States. And she developed a really big following and like crowds got bigger and bigger everywhere she'd go because they'd hear about Miss Amy, the preacher. Oh, she's really good at that. Oh, yeah. Okay. 1918, she and her mom moved to L.A. Mm -hmm. because you want to get famous. That's where you go. She rented out this really large auditorium and she used that as her pulpit from which to preach to locals, tourists, because it mm -hmm. was a, that's one of the reasons they chose L.A., Huge tourist population. Yeah, big transient population. This is before the Owens Valley, before it changed into the L.A. We know gonna, it was a very small, quiet community, And they're going to want to go to church on vacation. Yeah, so, you totally. know. Uh, she did a lot of fundraising, and in 1923, she opened Angelus Temple in Echo Park. Hmm. It was the first megachurch. Oh, like this in history? In history. And oh, it ooh. was, at the time, the largest Christian congregation in the world. Wow. It's still in operation today. Yeah, okay. Way. Interesting. So it's part of the Foursquare Church evangelical denomination um, that she founded, Amy founded. Uh -huh. In October of 1922, she explained her vision. She'd had this crazy vision and was shaking and overwhelmed of what she called Foursquare Gospel. Um, okay. And you know where she, she debuted this? At a sermon right here in Oakland, California. Oh, shout out to the town. Hey. So I searched newspapers.com, my favorite website. Yes. And I found the ad for that appearance oh, okay. uh, where she was just overcome with this vision for her ministry. It was at Jenny Lind Hall at 2229 Telegraph Avenue in hmm. Oakland, right at the corner of Telegraph and West Grand. Okay. Um, I found a picture of the building in the, on the Oakland Library website, but that address doesn't exist anymore. It's a hotel now. The Moxie, which is a Marriott oh, property. Oh, yeah. Kind of makes sense, the Moxie. Here we go. <laughs> anyway, so Foursquare um, represents the four aspects of the ministry of Jesus Christ. Savior, baptizer with the Holy Ghost, healer, and king. Whoa. Okay. I didn't expect the last. Right. So she she this this crafts everything that she does. She was groundbreaking in that she had racially integrated services. Okay. And the Klan tried to intimidate her for this. But she had words for them. A bunch of Klansmen, hundreds, showed up one Sunday night uh, for service. She saw them out in the congregation and, like, had to kind of improvise. She began telling a story about an old black farmer who came to town and saw a beautiful church. He tried to go in and join the worship but was kicked out and told to go to the Negro church down the road. So he's sitting dejected outside. The farmer is approached by Jesus, who in her story has, like, a long silken beard, uh, and told to—he uh, he tells him— don't feel sad, my brother. I, too, have been trying to get into that church for many, many years. Oh! <laughs> so, Jesus with the mic drop. So then she goes on. This is how she wraps it up. You men who pride yourselves on patriotism, you men who have pledged yourselves to make America free for white Christianity, listen to me. Ask yourselves, how is it possible to pretend to worship one of the greatest Jews who ever lived, Jesus Christ, and then to despise all living Jews? I say unto you, as our master said, judge not that ye be not judged. And with that, the Klansmen all got up and filed out and didn't come back. Wow. She just shamed them out of the room. She shamed them out. Huh. Yeah. Some of them, like, there were reports that they had, like, dropped their hoods and robes out on the ground outside. I kind of think that's an embellishment. Yeah, that seems like a political cartoonistry, that. <laughs> totally. But she did. She drove them out of the church peacefully. Um However, she also fought against Darwinism and the teaching of evolution, so you can't win them all. Well, you know. Uh, the temple had 40 million visitors within the first seven years of operation. Huge. Yeah. And Amy was really high profile because of this. Did a lot of charity work, but the real draw were her performances, for lack of a better word. I was wondering if she did some showmanship because she's, oh, she's sacking them in. Dude, tell. the temple had this huge stage. That's where she would preach. All right. The BBC interviewed the church archivist, and this is what he said, quote, it was quite simply the best show in town. She would call the construction crew and say, I need you to build me a 20-foot Trojan horse that's hollow on the inside. Or, I need you to build me a huge ship. The bow needs to stick out 20 feet. It needs to have guns on it and smoke coming out. Whoa. For a sermon. Amazing. <laughs> she used animals. She used comedy. She had, like, lavish costumes. She herself always wore this white dress with a blue cape. Yes. Okay. The, yeah. That is her iconic thing, right? In one of her sermons, though, she dressed up in a police officer uniform and roared onto the stage on a police motorcycle. By herself? Yeah. Siren blaring. Just rode like, in? Woo, woo, woo. She hit the blues and twos and rode out there. <laughs> 
She pulls up to the pulpit, jumps off the bike, holds up her white gloved hand and yells, stop, you're speeding to hell. (laughs) Like a very, that, now that's an entry. Oh, for the 1930s when you don't really have TV? I mean, like, boom, that's that's theater. She did 22 sermons a week. Okay. And the Sunday ones, that's the showcase. That's the big deal. Uh Uh-huh. So it was- Wait, did you say 22 a week? 22 a week. So she's doing three shows a day, essentially, and then four on Sundays? That's four less than the podcast we do a week. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, but something like that. Let me yeah, do my math. She's yeah. running multiple shows. That's at crazy. least three. Yeah, so like probably probably like six on Sunday, five on Saturday, <laughs> exactly. and then throughout the week. Or so, whatever. but the Sunday night—that's the big draw. It was such a huge event that overflow trolleys and traffic police had to be used to get people to the church. Wow! So they were just like flooding in. Her popularity was rising. The sermons became more and more theatrical. And so she started a radio station, KSFG, hmm. um, and that's where she'd broadcast her sermons live. And then she had a special radio-only show called Sunshine Hour. <laughs> so this woman is busy. Oh, yeah. She's just hustling. When does she sleep and eat? I don't know. Maybe during the sermons. Yeah. She's like a horse that sleeps standing up. Um, when the choir sings, she dozes off a little and <laughs> then she comes back. The KSFG studio was on the temple's upper floor. By early 1925, it was broadcasting to hundreds of thousands of listeners. Okay. So she's, and of course, those people are going to want to, you know, travel to come and see mm-hmm. the church. And I'm sure she's got mega wattage. So give she's them pulling. some money. Exactly. Yeah. So uh, she worked directly with the chief engineer, this guy named Kenneth Ormiston. Hmm. Kenneth Ormiston. Kenneth Ormiston. And Let's say it together. Kenneth, Kenneth Ormiston. Ormiston. It's like we're going to summon him. Uh, he was the producer, much like producer Dave, ah. but not as good. Okay. Um, Kenneth, he was married and he had a young kid. And then he also had a noticeable and recognizable limp. That becomes important later. That's what I was figuring because you mentioned it. Yeah, I, I wouldn't talk about that. It was like a Chekhovian <laughs> limp. He had chubby jowls. Um Amy and Kenneth, they had chemistry in their rapport. And Daniel Mark Epstein is a writer. He wrote a book called Sister Amy, The Life of Amy Semple McPherson. Makes sense. That's a good title. Good, strong title. Has her name in it. (laughs) And so he described the whole Amy Kenneth situation, quote, These sound checks developed into comic exchanges between evangelist and radio engineer. Ormiston was not very religious. His view of the temple proceedings made Amy laugh in spite of herself. She would get the giggles, then have to struggle to get back into character. Hmm. And she never seemed to realize that this behavior separated her from the other performers on the platform. The Angelus Temple acoustics were so good that the casual dialogue between Sister Amy and the radio operator could be heard, unknown to her, in the second balcony. And the tone of her voice as she spoke to Ormiston was unlike the tone she used anywhere else. The gossip started immediately. Whoa. So she's like bargaining. I'm going to tell you about Jesus. And she's like, hey, what's up? Hi, Hi, Kenny. Hey, Kenny. (laughs) Every time it's going to tell the truth on you. Right? So her mom, Minnie, told her to knock it off with the goo-goo eyes. Oh, I bet. She said, you knock it off with the goo-goo eyes. She's like, this costs a millions. Right? (laughs) Nope from Amy. This is what she said. Nope. She's like, I got that Kenneth yeah. addiction now. She got really googly with the Google eyes. Uh-huh. Um, January of 1926, though, she went on a trip to Europe and then on to the Holy Land, her grand tour. Do you know who wasn't at work during that period of time? Um, let's see. Not Minnie the mother. Um, <laughs> not the, the booker. Kenny? Kenny. Hey. Kenny, you're so funny. Kenny, you want to go for a trip around the world hey, with Kenny. me? Let's go so to the Kenneth. Holy Land and just talk about Jesus <laughs> well, and stuff. Well, it was rumored that he went with her, uh-huh. but it was never proven. Oh, come on mm-hmm. now. However, his wife filed a missing persons report. His wife? Yeah, because he was gone. Oh, so, Kenneth. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Kenneth. Um, he, she, she gets fed up. So she was like breaking like what rule number three, four. I can't remember. She like the whole coveting another man's wife. <laughs> totally. It's in the top five. I it think is. it's up in there somewhere. So yeah, she's breaking that one. Um, allegedly. Yeah, okay. Well, yeah, allegedly. allegedly. I'm saying all of this. But allegedly. anyway, he was in the wind. He's not around. And then his wife, mm-hmm. she, um, she just picked up the kid and moved back to Australia. Apparently she was from Australia. Oh, so there you go. Damn, that's a long boat ride in 1920. Yeah, she was out of there. Uh-uh. That's the boat sound. <laughs> um, so uh, Amy, she gets back from her trip. She's just like full of vigor. She's like, mm. I want to preach. She's hot. I am full of it. Full of preachings. <laughs> she gotten all that good, like uncut, the <laughs> Holy like, Land energy? I just mainlined Jerusalem and I am ready. <laughs> and she's just like vibrating with it. There were financial troubles at the church. Okay. Um, a Bruin. Kenneth, gone. At this point, like, she's back and he's still gone. Oh. Yeah. 
So there was rumors of like, oh, did she send him away, you know, so huh. that she could keep him did secretly Did Minnie outside? disappear him? Good question. On May 18th, 1926, Amy went swimming next to Lick Pier at the end of Rose Avenue. Between did you say Lick Pier? Lick Pier. Okay. That's not a... <laughs> anyway. <laughs> at the end of Rose Avenue between Santa Monica and Venice. Ah, yes. So it's also Marine yes. Avenue. Uh-huh. Right, yes. those it two parallel. Yeah. yeah, so Lick Pier isn't there anymore. It became Pacific Ocean Park, and then that fell into disrepair yeah. in the 70s. So, But it was there. She went swimming and all the time And helped birth skateboarding. Exactly. <laughs> so um, uh, Amy went swimming there a lot. Yes. And she would get a room at the Ocean View Hotel on days like that. Okay. And she'd take her assistant. Great hotel. Emma. Oh, is it still there? Totally. There yeah. you go. Uh, she took her assistant, Emma, um, and they would go and they'd like get sun and exercise and then they'd work on sermons together. So she would come up with ideas and then Emma would flip through the Bible and be like, oh, I found the perfect passage for that. Um, and they did this all in, you know, God's great outdoors. So that morning... Amy and Emma, they go and get waffles. Mm-hmm. That is not an important detail, but I felt I needed to share it. They <laughs> you got know how much waffles, I love waffles. Right? <laughs> Thank you. And then Amy, she changed into her green bathing suit. Okay. <laughs> I want you to like just get the full picture. I'm there. So Emma sets up camp on the beach. She's got like a little tent. Um, she's looking up Bible passages. Amy takes a dip in the ocean, and then she comes back up for work for a bit and then heads out for another swim. It goes on like that. Amy goes for a swim. Comes back to the beach to work for a while. Um, one of on one of these returns, she says to Emma, "Can you go get me some orange juice?" Because she's just hung- hankering. Okay. I almost said hunkering. She's hankering, hunkering. <laughs> she needs the orange juice. Uh, Emma gets up and walks back over to the hotel. By the time she got back, Amy was already back in the water doing her best Esther Williams, right? Okay. And so million dollar mermaiding around. <laughs> exactly. Okay. She's got like the the like flowered swim cap. Yeah. Um so Emma goes back to looking up Bible passages, and then she looks back at the water and she expects to see her boss gliding through the calm sea, sees nothing. No more million dollar mermaid. God. Amy wasn't there. Uh it was May 18th. Lifeguards didn't come out until the Memorial Day weekend. So Wait, there were <laughs> no lifeguards on, on oh, duty. okay. Yeah, they didn't send the lifeguards out full time until— I, Yeah, I, I finally understood what you mean. Like, it was over the winter they didn't have lifeguards right. because they don't have the tourists exactly. and everybody who's local knows thank, not to be dumb about it. Thank you I for gotcha. clarifying okay. my uh, gibberish. So Emma, she's running frantically up and down the beach. She's looking for Amy. She's screaming her name. Someone on the beach ran to call the Venice police, and they got a boat out to look for the preacher. Emma headed back to the Ocean View Hotel, called Minnie, Amy's mom. Uh-huh. She, like, breathlessly tells Minnie that Amy went out for a swim and she's missing. This is Minnie's response. Immediate and calm, right? She is drowned. Like, wow, Mom. Whoa. Okay. You ever the seen the, mo- out hope. the Hitchcock movie, Notorious? Yes. Where the mother, like, screws the cigarette in her face and says, we were made safe by the enormity of your stupidity? Yeah. That kind of mom is what that's, I'm picturing. Just, Minnie. like, made of iron. That's Minnie. So by the early evening, there's just a little bit of light left in the day. There's this massive surge party. In his book... Um, Daniel Mark Epstein describes it this way. Fishermen dragged for the body. Airplanes searched the sea between Santa Monica and Venice while thousands of people patrolled the beach. Search parties and glass-bottomed boats from Catalina Island peered into the ocean depths. Ed Harrison, 26, one of several deep-sea divers who went out looking for Amy, died of exposure. Many of Amy's disciples had to be restrained from casting themselves into the sea. One woman, determined to join the evangelist in death, succeeded. So two people died just in the search parties, essentially. Yeah. One intentionally and one by yeah, mistake. Yeah, it is chaos on this beach. Wow. So the next day, the Los Angeles Evening Post record, they ran front page above the fold coverage of the disappearance. Mm-hmm. And then they proceeded to serialize her life story over the course of the next several days with this editor's note. Quote, always a dramatic and dynamic individual in life. Today, in what apparently is tragic death, Amy Semple McPherson is even more of a vivid personality. What is the real story of this unusual woman? What were the forces that worked to make her one of the most spectacular figures in present-day evangelism? Record readers may find the answer for themselves in this life story of Amy Semple McPherson. Hmm. So this went like, day, they'd be like chapter four. Yeah. The, the, the Canada years or whatever. Oh, wow. It so, was crazy. So they just serialized her life. They're like, look, everybody wants this. Yeah. Until we get more news, we're just going to keep this running. This is it. So what if I stop the story there? Well, okay. Now, you, <laughs> Elizabeth, where's the crime? You know how I am. So mm-hmm. you know immediately probably what my thought is. But where's Kenneth? 
I'm thinking Kenneth is the key here. <laughs> Kenneth. Uh, well, you know, we are 99% murder-free. Uh-huh. I've used up my 1% recently. <laughs> um, let's just say this is it. This is the end. I tell downer stories now. Bye. Oh, no. yeah, this is, she's really more. a fascinating character. Zarin, there's more. No. Let's take a break. All right. When we come back, we're going to dive back in Splash. to the scene of <laughs> panic and chaos. I'll tell you how that search for Sister Amy went. Nice. Can I rant for a sec? Please. Pay apps are way too public. What happened? Some rando hearted a payment from five months ago, and I realized people can see my entire history, who I'm paying, like full names. It's super weird. Yeah, it's weird. How are you paying your friends then? Apple Cash. It's all in messages. You can literally send cash like a text, and it stays between friends. Random people can't see it. Did you just pay me a dollar on Apple Cash? Services are provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Terms apply. Danielle Moody here, host of the Woke AF Daily podcast. We've been with iHeart's Outspoken Network for a year, and what a year it has been. Every weekday, I navigate our rapidly changing world alongside our series of fabulous expert guests. As we head deeper into 2024 and yet another life-changing election cycle, Woke AF Daily is here to keep you sane and woke. Woke not just to the latest headlines, but also to the collective power we all have. Woke to the need to build community with those around us. Woke to how to avoid burnout and woke to the ways we can all find joy in the madness. Make Woke AF Daily with Danielle Moody your podcast destination for 2024 election news and analysis. And tune in to hear the ways I am working to stay grounded amidst it all. Listen to Woke AF Daily Season 5 on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey guys, this is Paris Hilton. Trapped in Treatment is back, and this season we're taking on Wasp. They held us in dog cages They starved us, they beat us, they burned us and subject us to really horrible, uh, cruel and unusual punishment. After my personal experience at Provo Canyon School, I was shocked to learn that a man named Robert Litchfield, a man who got his start at the school that I went to, would go on to create a multi-million dollar empire. He was trying to brand us, so we were going to become the McDonald's in treatment. The Worldwide Association of Specialty Programs and Schools. They prey on, you know, a parent's really natural and beautiful love for their children in a really, really, unfortunately, effective way. At this time in my life now, if someone presented this program to me, and not just because I've already experienced it, sham, scam, beware. Listen to season two of Trapped in Treatment on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. All right, we're back. Yeah. When we left off, Sister Amy Semple McPherson had gone missing while swimming at Venice Beach on May 18th, 1926. 1926, got it. So her assistant, Emma, had gone to fetch her some orange juice, but Amy was out swimming and then wasn't seen again. The intense coverage shows what a major figure she was at the Mm -hmm. time, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, She was well known for her charitable acts. Like she had soup kitchens, she hired people in need, that kind of stuff. Um, and she was as well known for that as she was for her preaching. So she was good in both ways. Jesus was. She gave the show and she fed in with precisely the, with the bread and the fish. Yeah, exactly. She was flipping tables, giving she, fish, <laughs> giving fish, serving serious fish. Um, <laughs> so anyway, some of her followers they paid to have dynamite tossed into the water in hopes of having the explosion churn up her body. What, awaken Godzilla and go bring us <laughs> up? Or... Yeah, so they're just like, toss some more down and maybe her body will fly out. The answers people come up with when they don't know what to do are always Yeah, you're fun. just looking for anything. Like, How about some dynamite, Bob? It's always with the dynamite. <laughs> you and the dynamite. Uh, the police tested her orange juice and then some of her beach candy. She was I'm, eating candy, but I like to call it beach candy. Beach candy. <laughs> to get special yeah, it's candy. like if you're eating candy on the sofa, that's sofa candy. Well, I think of, uh, actually, honestly, saltwater taffy is beach candy. Oh, that's totally beach candy. Like, it's the only place I would ever consider eating Here's saltwater. Here's the problem it, with candy, candy and other beach delights is mm. it gets sand in it. 
what do you mean? That's the part I like. It's, <laughs> like the grit. Look, I got more sand in it and yeah. I press it into the I sand. I had a lot of like peanut butter sandwiches with sand in them. Oh, yeah. No, I, don't, I don't like that. I know how you feel. So she's munching on beach candy and uh, she they, they tested it for drugs. No okay. dice, nothing. Huh. So she's not out there like eating edibles on the beach. But you, the way you said it, and maybe just the way you said it, but the whole like <laughs> casual request of the orange juice seems hinky as hell. It's uh-huh. like, why don't you go away where you can't see me? Well, they don't have any beverages with them. Exactly. Like, yeah. Just anyway. I mean, stay hydrated, ladies. <laughs> you, they, you get the sun from reflecting from the water. That's gonna oh, yeah. burn you. You're yeah. getting sun from basically above and below. Uh-huh. Uh huh. So all hope is lost. Basically, all at right. this point, they're thinking she she swims with the fishes. She drowned. <laughs> She's at Davy Jones's locker. Uh, the newspaper, all these emotional tributes. And then they also had speculation. So their assessments were grim, but there were like little stories here and there about possible sightings. Um, there was a couple who lived in Winters, California. Yeah, shout out to Winters. <laughs> and uh, they were rumored to be hiding Amy at their home. Apparently, Amy's son, Rolf... Mm-hmm. From one of her, she was married three times before this episode. Wait a minute, she was oh wow, yeah. So okay. she was like a widow and then a divorcee, and so she had this kid Rolf. She had another daughter as well. well I'm not judging her. I'm just that's no, a, just, cramming it in in a little bit of time, right? So um, he lived. Rolf lived with this couple in Winters. Yep. And they all left the ranch for a day, like around the time she went missing, and all the townsfolk found that suspect. So <laughs> okay. the, the press contacted them, and the woman hinted <laughs> that maybe Amy was alive. She said. If Amy McPherson wants to come to my home and stay, she's perfectly welcome. I would take her in and tell no one. So they're like, well, I think she's out floating in the sea. Okay. (laughs) Uh, You you know, keep hope alive. Other articles mentioned sightings all over the state, but they didn't have any specific information in the paper. And and as far as anyone knew, she's dead, right? R.I.P. So a week after her disappearance, though, May 26th, Minnie Kennedy gets a letter, Hmm. a ransom letter. Oh, the crime appears. Uh-huh. Here's the crime. Uh, so it was sent from San Francisco. Hmm. The kidnappers demanded $500,000 in exchange for Amy. That's like eight and a half million today. What did Kenneth need $500,000? <laughs> <laughs> it was signed, quote, The Revengers. Okay. I like that name. The Revengers. You have to say it like that. Totally. The Revengers. Time. It's us, The Revengers. <laughs> so Minnie didn't give too much consideration to the letter. Remember, she's like, she is drowned. Yeah, totally. That sounds like Revengers. Wait a minute. Uh-oh. So <laughs> Minnie's like, whatever. Yeah, okay. And tosses it. However... Two days later, um, she makes this public announcement that she's putting out an award for her daughter's safe return. It kind of surprises people. They're like, well, I think she's actually out in the... I'm, no, you, Poseidon I'm doesn't so take checks. Grief, it's good. We all react differently in yes. grief. And so she puts out this <laughs> you 20... You can't <laughs> give money to death, Minnie. Right. Calm down. It's okay, Minnie. $25,000 reward. Wow. That that's a, that's, that's a like good chunk of change. $400,000 I was just about today. to say, yeah, I just, yeah. So she thought it would go unclaimed, and she offered it as a way to squash rumors that her daughter was still alive somewhere. Okay. So she's, like, trying to convince people. I don't know. She's trying to keep the ministry going? Like, I guess. She's like, let's keep coming back. We're going to need you. in her honor. Exactly. Yeah. So meanwhile, though, she's planning the memorial service. So she okay. puts out the reward, but she's still planning the service. May 31st, a lawyer named R.A. McKinley went to the cops. And why are lawyers always like with the two letters? Like, oh, R A G H B W. Because like, like Robert, maybe there's a bunch of Robert McKinleys and he I don't know. It feels R-A. like they don't want you to know their full name. That's it sounds what I'm just pretty saying. cool. Like Oh yeah, sure. Whatever. You, you know, uh Z W Burnett. Well, like authors do it. It sounds lawyers cooler. do it. You think so? E. C. Dutton? That doesn't sound good. No, see it really depends on the letters. It I totally think. depends on the letters. You know, like you got like a good double consonant, like a what is it? J J W. That kind of works. Right? Yeah. G.K. Um, Chesterton? G.K. Chesterton? Yeah. yeah. Thanks, producer Dave. Well, what if you had, like, um, Franklin Ulysses Dude? FUD? F-U-D? F-U Dude? F-U Dude? <laughs> That's what you are going for? Sorry, I let you it down on that. It took a lot that. of work. Yeah, it was a lot really... of scaffolding to get there. How much is this his first and middle name? I Where is the last? The, well, we're talking about first and second initial. I know, but you middle. threw okay, in Dude. Yeah, so it's F-U Dude. Yeah, I got you. Wait, 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 wait. Before we go on. Yes, Dave? We're missing the OG to initial guy, my man Y.A. Tittle. Oh, yes. Or I.P. Freely. Or your woman I.P. Freely. R.A. McKinley. He's a lawyer. He goes to the cops. He tells the kid that he says, look, dudes, <laughs> uh, two kidnappers came to my office. They said they were holding Amy and that they wanted $25,000. 
And the cops are like, what do they look like? And lawyer's like, I would love to help you, but in case you haven't noticed, I'm blind. Is he really? He's totally Okay. Like, before I laughed, I wanted to know. Like, this They're is like, one of those. Tell us what they look like. And he's like, well, smacking them with his cane. Like, I wish I could tell you. Hey, fellas. detectives, did you notice anything about me? <laughs> so um, there's this book, The Vanishing Evangelist. Um, and this is what was written in there. Came out in 1959. McKinley, quote, was a cousin of the 25th president. He had been blinded by a gun explosion in Cuba in the Spanish-American War, came to California from Idaho, and in 1916 was admitted to the bar. In 1926, he had a scratch practice in Long Beach. Hit Long Beach. Long Beach. His, I just got in the rhythm. Of, I was like on the ocean with it. His clients ran mostly to bootleggers and petty offenders. Okay. So that, this paints this picture of He's a mob lawyer, but not even a good one. Not Exactly. So the cops, though, they're like, let's follow this lead. Yeah. Hey. Let's see where this goes. And they're like high-fiving each other and hee-hee. <laughs> Way to go, detective. Um, so they worked with Minnie, and they developed a series of four questions that the kidnappers would be given, and that that's what they could use to prove that they really had Amy. Are you a Baptist? Are you a healer? Are you a Kang? <laughs> They're like, how no, many fingers am I holding up? <laughs> wait, that was a her four pillars. I'm sorry. <laughs> are you a Kang? Um, so here, a, these are questions that only Amy, Amy could answer. Okay. Here they are. Describe hammock at home in Canada and where it was. All right. Okay. I could take a shot at that. Describe my dog at home on farm and give name. Ooh, that's a tough she one. She was dropping articles in there. She's like, I don't need on <laughs> our farm and give A. No, forget it. Tell me about it. dog. <laughs> Very describe, Russian. Describe dog. Yes. Um, describe dining room stove at home. Okay. Who was Wallace at our home? Was she sending this as a telegram and paying by the word? Like, what's I up guess, with this? I guess, but it's fun to read them like that. No, so it's great. McKinley, he's given the questions to pass along to the kidnappers. All right. On June 19th, so this has been a while. Oh, yeah, we're like Minnie gets another two. ransom letter. Yeah, so we're a month out because it was May 18th. She gets another ransom letter. This one was signed by the Avengers. Wait a minute, they switched up their uh-huh. name. Like, we didn't get your attention with Revengers. Uh-huh. We've workshopped the it. Avengers. And now we're back with Avengers. And they're like, see, that one works. You, you hear the difference, right, it guys? Is. It's, Everyone, it's, we all agree? Yeah, they workshopped it. So um, <laughs> it had been mailed the day before from a train okay. that was traveling between El Paso and Tucson. Did they get more respect with the name change? Did that really matter? I think, well, there's two things. They changed it to the Avengers, uh-huh. which like, hello, Marvel. Yeah, totally. That everyone knows that's a proven formula. I'm pretty sure they're pre-Avengers. I think so. Yeah. They invented them. So they invent these comic book characters. <laughs> but also they mailed the letter from a, tr- a moving train going between El Paso and Tucson. Like they put it into paper airplane form and then shot it out and it drifted zoop zoop with like a little dotted line uh-huh. behind it. <laughs> and it landed in a passing mailman's bag. And he uh-huh. was like, oh, okay, mini. Was this uh, mailman in I saw it. Was he in Family Circus, like in, yes. the, in the newspaper? Like he's, <laughs> yes. That's how the line worked? Yeah, right? Okay, totally. just wanted to know. You're seeing exactly what I'm seeing <laughs> okay. in this one. So in the letter was a lock of reddish-brown hair. Uh-huh. Guess who had reddish-brown hair? The dog. Yes, Amy. And <laughs> correct answers to the first two questions. Oh, wow. So, you know, describe hammock at home in Canada and where it was. They're like, um, all right, a woven wire one between two apple trees. Darn, I was close. A wire hammock. Yeah, it's comfortable. Like in the heat. No, that's what's... <laughs> <laughs> and then um, the second answer, describe my dog at home on farm and give name. Uh, that was, the hound was black and named Jip. What if their answer was fun and flirty? <laughs> And they're like, yeah, that dog was kind of fun and flirty. <laughs> We're a kicky little scarf. Um, so the letter, this letter, they did, they wanted, again, the $500,000 ransom. Mm-hmm. Uh, they also said they were, quote, sick and tired of her infernal preaching. She spouts scripture and everything in answer to everything. <laughs> so she's just Bibling out on them. Um, this must have given Minnie incredible hope, right? Uh, you'd think. No. No. no, not hard, not hard. She many. was still on that. She was drowned. Kick right. She had other issues to address, like the giant twelve-hour memorial service she was planning for Amy the next day. Twelve-hour memorial. Twelve-hour. The congregation had already raised almost um, forty thousand dollars for this memorial. Okay, did everyone get to like pick up the hammer and drive one of the coffin nails? <laughs> yes, what... yes, you could pay extra for that. <laughs> so over the course of three services okay. on June twentieth, nineteen twenty-six. More than 11,000 people paid their respects to Amy. Wow. Minnie put on her daughter's blue cape, took to the pulpit, and led the congregation. 
It's her turn to shine, Zaren. Wow. This is really reminding me of episode of the TV show, The Three Musketeers. Or The Musketeers. The Musketeers. Where they had almost this exact story. It's really line. hitting home. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm wondering if they stole this now. I'm just. Perhaps. So she urged the gathered worshipers, don't mourn. Uh-huh. Please no. Use this as an opportunity to rededicate your life to the Lord. Okay. And they're like, okay. Um, and then, so it looks now like Amy's mom and her daughter are going to take over the temple and carry on the mission. Mm-hmm. Zarin. Yes. Close your eyes. Oh, you snuck up on me. I did. All right. I want you to picture it. Yes. It's just after midnight on June 23rd, 1926. You are a coyote living in the Sonoran <laughs> Desert in Mexico, just south of Douglas, Arizona. Like with four legs, right? Yeah. Okay, nice. You're, you're not like a human trafficker. <laughs> That's what I was wondering. You're I don't know. You're an actual... Coyote. I don't judge, you know? You're, just... you're less of a mangy scavenger and more of like the coyote trickster of legend. Oh, nice. Yeah. Check me out. So uh, you watch over the foolish and loving people of the desert. You bay at the moon under an endless blanket of stars. The night is warm. Yes. You feel a gust of wind and you lift your head to smell the breeze. It's a good one where you are because you're hanging out outside of a slaughterhouse on the outskirts <laughs> of Agua Prieta, Mexico. <laughs> I mean, you're a scavenger, Aaron. <laughs> I'm down. Yeah. I, I came for the waters. So Agua Prieta is a rather young town. Mm-hmm. It grew up as a rail stop, and it's populated primarily by employees of Phelps Dodge Mining Corporation. Hmm. You look over the arid scrub and you spot something. It's a figure. It's a woman. She stumbles towards the slaughterhouse and she slaps her hand on the door. She's wiped out. She yells in and asks to use the phone. A man hollers back that they don't have a phone. The dazed woman looks about and heads towards the light of the town. You don't like how this looks. No. So you tailor. Of course. She wobbles along, heading towards the modest homes in the distance. You stay at her 5 o'clock, paralleling, paralleling her path and watching over her. Mm-hmm. She reaches the front lawn of a home, and she stands still, swaying back and forth in pure exhaustion. You let out a loud coyote bark, unmistakable and sharp. Yes. You see a light go on in the house. They're doing exactly what you wanted them to do. Ramon Gonzalez pulls back the front curtain to get a look at the coyote, only to see the woman standing there. He opens the door while calling to his wife, Teresa. The woman asks to use the phone and then collapses. Hmm. Ramon and Teresa lift the woman and carry her into the house. There, Teresa wipes down her face until the woman comes to. She asks for water, and Teresa hands her a glass she already had at the ready. Ramon and Teresa got the woman on her feet and walked her down the street to the mayor's house. Neither Ramon nor Teresa nor the mayor spoke English. They aren't really sure what this woman wants. The mayor calls around. He finds an American taxi driver who could both translate and get the woman across the border to Arizona. Make it their problem. (laughs) So hearing this conversation, you step out of the bushes, Zarin, under the window of the mayor's house, and you lope off into the emerging dawn, getting a little hungry. Maybe there are scraps outside the slaughterhouse by now or a Mm. nice neighborhood cat. Yes. In Douglas, Arizona, Amy McPherson gets wheeled into the hospital. She wasn't drowned after all. She's wearing dusty slippers. She had rope marks on her wrist. Hmm. And the nurse had to pull cactus spines from her ankles, but otherwise she's in good shape. Kinky. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) She's not dehydrated. She doesn't have cracked lips, no sunburn. Uh, She tells the cops that she heard her kidnappers planning the abductions of other famous people, like Mary Pickford, the famous actress and producer. The next day, Minnie, accompanied by Amy's two kids, arrive in Douglas. Mm -hmm. Do you know who else showed up? In Douglas, uh, Kenneth. No. Damn. Hundreds of reporters. Ah. <laughs> so this is major, major news. The L.A. Times and the San Francisco Examiner each sent planes hoping to be the ones to ferry her back to L.A. Wow. So they could get, like, exclusive photos. Wow. On June 26th, Amy arrived in Los Angeles by train. Here's what the L.A. Times said. Quote, Amy Semple McPherson came home today. She came back in triumph to receive as remarkable an ovation from her followers as Los Angeles has ever witnessed. She returned in a special Pullman from Douglas, Arizona, just 39 days, almost to the hour from the time she vanished at Venice, where she had gone swimming, and then stumbled into Agua Prieta, a Mexican village across the border from Douglas, to tell a dramatic story of abduction, imprisonment, escape, and flight through the desert wastes to safety. 
Wow. So f- after 40 days, 39. basically. 39, Elizabeth. Close, she missed it. They hey, needed a calendar. Close, They're going to hit the Jesus dates. They got to be specific. <laughs> close enough for government yeah, work, right? I don't know. That's the margin of error. The Bible the is desert, very specific about 40, these numbers. Almost 40 days through the desert. Yeah, I, oh, I'm with it. I caught you. Yeah. Yeah, huh? I got my blue cape on. But 39 ain't 40. <laughs> <laughs> so she's, well, she's not saying she's Jesus. No. She's almost. But I'm just saying, Minnie ain't got much to work with here. Yeah, that is true. So. 50,000 people met her at the train station. Damn! She's placed on a flower-laden wicker chair and then carried by firemen to a waiting car that was covered in flowers. Firemen were handing her, like, honorary badges, like, you're now the honorary fire chief. Dude, if if Hoover or Coolidge... Wait, what year are we in? 26? So yeah. If Hoover got it... Well, yeah, anyway, so if they got there and like, rolled into town in L.A., they wouldn't pull 50,000. I bet no. they wouldn't get 5,000. No, 50,000. The car is covered in flowers... The crowds are two blocks deep as she goes. The procession to the temple turns into this full-blown parade. A plane flew overhead and dropped flowers on the whole affair. Oh, my God. Can you imagine standing there in the middle of this? So what did she say happened? Well, when we get back from this break, (sighs) let's find out Amy's side of the story. All right. Hey guys, this is Paris Hilton. Trapped in Treatment is back, and this season we're taking on Wasp. They held us in dog cages. They starved us. They beat us. They burned us and subject us to really horrible, uh, cruel and unusual punishment. After my personal experience at Provo Canyon School, I was shocked to learn that a man named Robert Litchfield, a man who got his start at the school that I went to, would go on to create a multi-million dollar empire. He was trying to brand us. So we were going to become the McDonald's in treatment. The Worldwide Association of Specialty Programs and Schools. They prey on, you know, a parent's really natural and beautiful love for their children in a really, really, unfortunately, effective way. At this time in my life now, if someone presented this program to me, and not just because I've already experienced it, Sham, scam, beware. Listen to season two of Trapped in Treatment on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Danielle Moody here, host of the Woke AF Daily podcast. We've been with iHeart's Outspoken Network for a year, and what a year it has been. Every weekday, I navigate our rapidly changing world alongside our series of fabulous expert guests. As we head deeper into 2024 and yet another life-changing election cycle, Woke AF Daily is here to keep you sane and woke. Woke not just to the latest headlines, but also to the collective power we all have. Woke to the need to build community with those around us. Woke to how to avoid burnout and woke to the ways we can all find joy in the madness. Make Woke AF Daily with Danielle Moody your podcast destination for 2024 election news and analysis. And tune in to hear the ways I am working to stay grounded amidst it all. Listen to Woke AF Daily Season 5 on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, everybody, welcome to Across Generations, where the voices of Black women unite in powerful conversations. I'm your host, Tiffany Cross. Tiffany Cross. I want you all to join me and be a part of sisterhood, friendship, wisdom, and laughter. In every episode, we gather a seasoned elder. But even with a child, there's no such thing as the wrong thing if you love them. Myself, as the middle generation... I don't feel like I have to get married at this big age in life, but it is a desire I have and something that I've navigated in dating and a vibrant young soul for engaging intergenerational conversations. I'm very jealous of your generation (laughs) that didn't have to deal with Instagram and Tinder. This is Across Generations, where Black women's voices unite, and together, you know how we do, we create magic. magic. Listen to Across Generations podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, Zaren. Uh, Elizabeth. What, what did you do during the commercial break? I was just over in Agua Prieta for the waters. 
<laughs> I went out and I solved a Rubik's Cube competition down the street at a teen center. Oh. I pulled all the stickers off and rearranged them. Fantastico. <laughs> Fantastico. Anyway, Amy McPherson. Yes. So, Sister Amy, uh, she didn't drown off of Venice, California. IA. Hmm. She returned triumphant from Arizona. <laughs> and was greeted uh, with an amazingly over-the-top parade. Flowers falling from the skies, Aaron. A parade A parade See, that's for you. parade Thank you. Uh, th- no, oh. Uh, so she later, she goes to with the police to where she'd been grabbed. Uh-huh. She tells them that while Emma went to get that fateful orange juice, a man and a woman approached her and told them that their baby was dying. They're like, my baby's dying. Okay. Um, it's in the car. Can you come pray over our baby? Oh, I'm sure she gets sure. that often. Yeah. So she like throws her robe on, goes, follows him to the car. She gets overpowered. There's a guy already sitting in the car. Like three or four guys? One guy. <laughs> three to four vague numbers. A guy is sitting in the front seat of the driver's seat. They like open the back door and she's like, where's the baby? And they, you know, yeah, put a towel over and chloroform her. Okay. Um, so when she came to, she was barfing all over herself. Uh-huh. I like that. And then... <laughs> yeah, you did really took a moment there for yourself. <laughs> barfing. Ah, okay, well, go on. you just wake up and she's just barfing. And she's in a strange room. Uh-huh. The kidnappers were there and they were named Steve, Rose, and Jake. Steve, Rose, and Jake. Yeah. Okay. She said that the kidnappers said they wanted money and they asked her questions to establish her identity to Minnie. She eventually stopped providing answers. Um, she said she didn't want to help raise the money. And then Steve put his lit cigar on her fingers and Rose cut off a lock of her hair. Hmm. Not nice people. No. Steve's like, you know what? I, I'm going to go a step further. I'm going to cut off a finger. Um, but he didn't, and she wasn't harmed. So it was just an empty threat. Do you think he held up one of those cigar cutters? He's like, I'm going to yeah, put your so finger in here. Mop it right off, a little finger guillotine. A um, couple of weeks go <laughs> by. Go She's blindfolded and put in a car. They drive for a night and a day, and then she arrives at a different shack. Uh, they threatened that if they didn't get the money soon, that they would um, sell her to an old Mexican man named Felipe. Like, was he in the market? Had he been talking to them? Like, <laughs> well, if you get a redhead, you let me know. Doesn't that sound like a threat Will Ferrell would ad-lib in totally, a movie? Like, 100%. I will sell you to an old Mexican man named, named Felipe. Felipe. Yeah. Great Odin's Raven. <laughs> so, Steve and Jake take off. Yes. And where to, who knows? Okay. Uh, who knows who cares? And then a few after a few days, Rose is like, I'm going to go into town to get supplies. I'm tired of sitting here with you. I'm tired of your Bible preaching. <laughs> so around 11 a.m., Rose um, leaves. Amy makes her move. She's on a bed with her hands and feet bound. Um, she used the edge of an empty five-gallon syrup tin. Wait, to, what? <laughs> you know. Wait a minute, what? I mean, we all, look, I'm looking over there in the studio. We got an empty five-gallon syrup tin. Yeah. I have one in my house, in my room. But who keeps the empties? That's my only question. Do you have any in your house? Oh, I mean, I always, I recycle them. I mean, it's right, just. Right, but you know, when you just, you just dusted off a five-gallon so thing of syrup. Five gallons of syrup. syrup. Yeah, and like, <laughs> what are they, okay, anyway. Whatever. That's a lot of waffles. But it's all sharp, right, where yeah, she I opened so. it up. So yeah. she uses the, the edge of it to cut through the rags. Uh-huh. Then she leaves through a window. And she said she never thought to try the door. I like it. You know. I, I, I relate. God closes a door and opens a window. Yeah. And, she's, and off she went. She's holy as heck. She is. So she heads into the desert. She said she walked for 20 miles in the heat. And then she found the slaughterhouse and then the Gonzalez house. Mm-hmm. And then you, the coyote. Mm-hmm. So right away, people are skeptical. They find all these holes in her story. She wasn't sweaty when she got to the hospital. <laughs> she wasn't dehydrated. She had grass stains on the instep of her shoes. There's no grass around There's there. no grass in Agua Prieta. Uh-uh. She was wearing a watch that her mom had given her, but she didn't take that watch with her to the beach. Oh, ah. there's a problem. So she told reporters that she wasn't sunburned because she pulled her outer dress over her head like a bonnet, quote, like they used to do in Canada. So the Canadians are all walking around with their underpants out with their dresses over, over their heads. heads. Going, I don't well, know. I don't have well, to worry about her, the sun. Her outer dress. So she's wearing multiple dresses. Sure, sure, whatever. I mean, even if it's just so a her coat slip, over her and head. then she's got her dress over. Why her head. she got to pin it on the Canadians? And no one saw this, and no one was like, "This lady needs help." Yeah. Um, so they, everyone's looking for the shack, uh-huh. the love shack. Turns up short. Um, oh, he, the love shack? Okay. Well, the, no, her shack. Yeah, I just the, wanted to say love shack. Oh. So Amy goes with him. She's like, um, let's try over there. No. Um, she tells the reporters that like... Oh, wait, oh she can't find the path of where she... No. Okay, she's I like, got ah, you. It, it was right here. It was the desert. I get lost. Yeah. And then the reporters are like, you know, you didn't seem really thirsty when you made it into Agua Prieta. And um, 
there, you know, she told reporters, I'm not going to drink water during the search for the hut to prove to you that I don't need it. And then she lasted 10 minutes. Well, no. And then they see her like walk over to a, her car and take a bunch of chugs of ice water in a thermos, <laughs> like secret sippers. Um, she said that the shack had a wooden floor. But when it wasn't found, she's like, actually, I thought it was wood, but maybe it was really just dirt, like packed to look like wood. Hard packed dirt. You know how that and looks like maybe wood. The, maybe it wasn't a, t- a house. Maybe it was like a tent. Yeah, I was yeah. really dehydrated. So, but I don't need any water. <laughs> no, I'm just a little, you know, thirsty. I'm going to take a little sip secretly. Yeah, that's actually gin. So. gin. <laughs> so an employee at the Clark Hotel in L.A. reported that on May 18th, that's the day of the kidnapping, mm-hmm. he'd briefly seen Amy in the hotel that morning checking out after 15 minutes and wearing a yellow dress. Ooh. Uh, another patron at the hotel said he saw her talking to a well-dressed man in the parlor. So there were hmm. two sightings at this hotel. Same hotel. Mm-hmm. May 19th. A man calling himself George McIntyre and a woman arrived at a rented cottage in Carmel around four in the morning. What did Kenneth call himself? (laughs) McIntyre tells the cottage's owner that his wife was recovering from an illness and needed a very secluded and quiet place to rest. Ah, yes, of course. And he's like, we're going to be here for three months. Yeah, don't wake the baby. (laughs) She's recovering for three months. She's napping. And my wife, she doesn't get (laughs) up. And don't look at her. Um, it was like apparently a known secret around Carmel that Kenneth Ormiston and Amy were there after her disappearance. Yes, it was Kenneth. <laughs> yeah. yeah. A couple of neighbors identified Kenneth. I'm telling you. And the cottage owner said he saw a green bathing suit hanging up to dry the morning after the couple arrived. When you bet on sex, you always win. <laughs> so, I mean, also they said that this McIntyre had a limp. Oh, the telltale, the telltale limp. limp. There's the Chekhovian limp. So Kenneth, he later admits, I am McIntyre. <laughs> I am I, McIntyre. You know, but I, it was a different lady that I took to Carmel. It wasn't Amy. <laughs> I got another broad with me. You know, I, I just got it like that. Yeah. And Amy's like, I wasn't there. I was in the desert in the pseudo shack. Yes, miles so, away. May 25th, the same day that Minnie Kennedy received the first ransom letter sent from San Francisco, Kenneth was also in San Francisco. He was changing his car's license plate from Washington to California. So apparently he had been in Washington ah. when he was gone to Missons. Curious. Curious. May 26th, a blue Cadillac registered to Kenneth was at, left at a garage in Salinas to be washed. Okay. And then— So he's in um, the middle of the state, basically. Well, and Kenneth had purchased the car a few months earlier after he'd been wired $1,500 from someone named James Wallace in Venice. All right. So all this is like hinky. So Emma Wallace. Right. (laughs) Exactly. In the interim, between buying the car and when he shows up in Carmel, he was staying at various hotels in California under a couple different names. Mm -hmm. Amy was allegedly seen at some of these hotels at the same time. Hmm. District Attorney Asa Kyes. Mm-hmm. It looks like Keys, K-E-Y-E-S, but okay. apparently is pronounced Kyes. If you say so. so. Hey, that's what I was told. Um, he announced that he wanted to speak with Kenneth. Ah. Yeah. May 27th, Kenneth took the train from San Francisco to talk to Kyes and the press, and he denied all involvement. He took a return train back north that night, and he checked in under the name Kay Gladstone at a hotel in Oakland. Mm-hmm. May 28th, a telegram was sent from Oakland to the unidentified mystery woman in Carmel, Mrs. McIntyre, saying simply, lease expires tonight. Aha. Uh-huh. So all, the all coming together. So that same evening, Kenneth picked up his car from Salinas at the garage. Around one in the morning, he returned to the, the next day, he returned to the garage to fill up on gas. This time there was a woman in the passenger seat and she was wearing large sunglasses and it says, or goggles. <laughs> they were that big. She's just wearing big old goggles sitting there like, whoa, okay. <laughs> like safety goggles. Like <laughs> she's big safety goggles. Working in a lab. Um, so 6 a.m. May 29th, mm-hmm. Kenneth and a woman registered at a hotel in San Luis Obispo under the names Mr. and Mrs. Frank Gibson. Now, if they were going to try to run, like, basically... Fake a kidnapping, run away, hold a ransom to get some money to start a new life. Why didn't they buy a boat and hang out on the boat? No, like, they decided the to hit all the, like, California tourist hotspots up yes, and down the coast. where nobody has anything else to do but <laughs> exactly. to go, who's this new person in exactly. town? Who's this lady with the goggles and yeah. the guy with the limp? Exactly. Yeah. I mean, like, come so, on now. Yeah, make yourselves uh, inconspicuous. So they check out from this place in San Luis Obispo uh, around 5 o'clock in the evening. 
By this time, the reporters were already trying to find Kenneth themselves. They're like one step ahead of the cops. A reporter from the Santa Barbara Morning Press was sent to try and stop them when they passed on, I guess, 101. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, Around 11 p.m., he spots them just north of Santa Barbara. He followed the car for a few miles and then flagged it down. The reporter later said he believed it was Kenneth, like it was his car and the plates. Um, Kenneth said, no, no, I'm I'm just a hardware man from Sacramento. <laughs> okay. Um, but the, and the woman wore a hat and dark glasses and didn't say anything. And he couldn't identify who she was. Like she was all Carmen San Diego with the hat over her eyes. I'm just a hardware man from Sacramento. And then just guns it and out And my there. wife who's got very protective eyes. <laughs> and so she's like one of those people who's allergic to sunlight. Yes, yeah. exactly. Um, in early July of 1926, a grand jury was called to determine if there was an enough evidence to charge Amy's alleged kidnappers, Steve, Rose, Jake. Um, And Amy and her mother both testified. On July 20th, the grand jury declined to indict these supposed kidnappers because they (laughs) didn't have enough evidence. On August 3rd, the grand jury reconvened to decide if Amy and her mother had committed perjury or obstruction of justice during their original grand jury testimony. So this is the same grand jury. Yeah. So they're like, well, let's do this they're again. They're like, hold this on. Time, I think you were lying. Yeah, so, yeah. Let's focus on the other table. <laughs> exactly. Okay. So that same day, a piece of evidence, a scrap of paper from the Carmel Cottage with a grocery list on it, mm-hmm. it was supposed to identify um, Amy's handwriting, right? It disappeared after a juror named Mrs. Holmes, one of two women on the 17-person grand jury, took it. A godly woman, was she? Well, this is what Epstein wrote in his book. Quote, during a recess, one of the jurors took Exhibit A, the incriminating grocery receipt, in order to examine it in the light of the women's lavatory. (laughs) Somehow, the exhibit got flushed down the toilet, and with it, the strongest support of Kai's indictment was lost somewhere in the bowels of the Los Angeles sewer system. The light is better in the bathroom. It's so much better flush. Actually, in this stall. This stall has the best light. (laughs) So a, a new grand jury trial started in September. It lasted more than five weeks. The court mm-hmm. transcript was 3,600 pages long. Holy this was heavy geez. duty. Kai's star witness was a woman named Lorraine Wiseman. She was a less than perfect witness. Okay. She'd suffered traumatic brain injury in a train wreck, which made her a pathological liar. Oh, wow. She was turned into a liar after the train so wreck. So wait, the, like... You know, they say that sometimes a uh, bump on the head can make a man strange for the rest of mm-hmm. his days. So that was she, what happened to her. She, gives, she becomes a pathological she becomes liar. Pathological so we've liar. covered the, the ambient foreign uh, accent syndrome. <laughs> exactly. She becomes, that's wild. And then they're like, she'd be a great witness. Yeah. yeah. Well. <laughs> so Wiseman, she originally introduced herself to Amy's lawyer, and she said that she was the woman in Carmel with Kenneth. <laughs> And she's the one who received the telegram, and she's the one who wrote out the grocery list. And reporters are like, can we see your handwriting? She goes, um, well, you know what? I write in three different styles, and I don't remember which one I used for the grocery slip. I'd rather talk about when I assassinated uh, Lincoln, because I was an actor at the time. Yeah, and yeah. she's got a little bit of the old George Santos. Yeah. So uh, a few weeks later... Wiseman then tells the L.A. Times that that story was a lie. Hmm. So she's like, actually, I was in L.A. when I was supposed to have been in Carmel. um, But I have a twin sister who's wanted on bad check charges. And she's like, both me and my sister lost our left thumbs in different accidents. (laughs) I mean, it's compelling. I like it as a lie. That's the one thing she told the truth on. She had a twin sister. They both lost their left thumbs in different accidents. That's crazy. Isn't that wild? I love I not love that, but that, <laughs> I love that the, for her. The randomness of yes, that. Yes, exactly. The math of it all. So Lorraine Wiseman herself, not the yes. sister, um, she's then arrested on September 10th, 1926 on bad check charges. She was the one who was actually writing the check, not her twin sister. When the cops searched her purse, they found, quote, a packet of photographs of herself and the evangelist in identical pose and dress side by side, their hair combed exactly alike. On the parcel was written, Angelus Temple, will call. There was also a red notebook on several pages of which were written, butter, pears, rhubarb, meat, and other words appearing on the Carmel grocery slips. Huh. So it looks like she has this prep kit. Yeah. This is how you, yeah. Wow. So why so wait, did they, she was with the real Amy in that photograph, like standing there next to each I other? Could, I looked at it in a bunch of different places and I couldn't tell if they were just two different photographs and she was mimicking okay, it. Okay, Or But yeah. Interesting. Um. Wiseman, she gets bailed out by the L.A. examiner, uh-huh. and then she confesses to that paper um, that what she said was the actual truth, that she had worked with temple leaders to cover for Amy. Hmm. 
And then um, she said Amy and her mother had approached her via a mysterious man named Martin. So who knows if that's true to ask her to lie for them. She's like, I'm really good at that. Yes. Uh, Amy, she gets confronted about it. And she said that Wiseman, a person previously unknown to her, had come to the temple to apologize for lying about being at Carmel. And then Amy and her mom tried to help her out of concern for her well-being. During the trial, Amy continued to preach both at her church and on the radio. Uh, she also started her Fight the Devil Fund to pay for her legal <laughs> I bills. I bet she did. <laughs> the defense finally rested on October 28th. Outside the courtroom that day, there was news that a trunk that Kenneth owned had been seized in New York and was on its way to L.A. Mm -hmm. It was supposedly full of Amy's clothes. Hmm. And then Kai's um, also announced that he had a cryptic letter that would, had been recently decoded to reveal a sappy love letter allegedly from Amy to Kenneth. So she's writing cryptogram love letters. <laughs> oh, these crazy kids. On November 1st, the trunk arrived full of clothes, including a silk dress that records show um, had been purchased by the Angelus Temple stenographer and billed to Emma Schaefer, Amy's secretary. Yeah, yeah. Um, it also had a dry cleaners tag attached to it from a place near the temple, and Amy was like, you know what? I'm being framed. <laughs> Someone set me up. November 3rd, 1926, Amy and her mom, they get charged with three counts of criminal conspiracy to commit acts injurious to public morals and to prevent and obstruct justice. Hmm. The maximum prison sentence was 42 years. Wow. Uh, Wiseman and Kenneth, they're also charged. The trial was scheduled for early 1927. On In December of 1926, the San Francisco Examiner, owned by William Randolph Hearst, uh -huh who was rumored to be sympathetic to Amy and wanted to help her, reported erroneously that Kai's had decided to drop the case. Whoa. And then Kai's denies it, but in the meantime, Wiseman had once again changed her story, saying that she had not, in fact, been hired by Amy to lie on her behalf. <laughs> so there goes another witness. January 10th, 1927, Kai's asked the court to dismiss all the charges against everyone, and the court granted the request. So the following day, Amy left L.A. for her U.S. quote-unquote vindication tour. Uh -huh. uh, her current official biography on the foursquare.org church site sure. um, states that the kidnapping was fact, goes through all that, like all right. lists that, you know, she was kidnapped for ransom, held in a shack in Mexico. Okay. In her autobiography, Amy wrote, To my dying day, I must proclaim my story of the kidnapping and escape is true. It really did happen just as I told it. So she sticks to it. Not long after the kidnapping, Amy had a falling out with her mother, and her mom left the church, and Amy struggled for a bit, but kept working to keep the juggernaut church going. But her mom didn't flip on her. No. All right. Uh, she'd always been shown in a positive light by the media, but they started to focus on her troubles at home, especially the split with her mom. Yeah. And then, even with all the turmoil, though, 10% of the population in Los Angeles still held temple membership at the time. 10%? 10%. Wow. Movie studios were approaching her. Oh, I bet. She appeared in newsreels with Mary Pickford, sure. Franklin Delano Roosevelt. Wow. Um, she made herself over. She lost weight. She started wearing makeup. She dyed her hair. This didn't go over well with the congregants. In 1927, she took her show on the road. So she went so far as to preach at nightclubs, including a Texas speakeasy. Huh. Uh, newspapers reported on these visits, and then false rumors were spreading that she was drinking, smoking, dancing. Uh oh. Um, but her efforts to integrate worship ramped up through the years. She welcomed black people into the congregation and the pulpit. Mm -hmm. um, and then during the race riots of Detroit in 1943, she publicly converted the black former heavyweight champion Jack Johnson Whoa. on the temple stage and embraced him. And Whoa. that was a huge deal. Jack Johnson. So she passed away on September 26, 1944 mm -hmm. at a hotel right here in Oakland, California. Huh. She'd been struggling with insomnia and other health issues, and she accidentally took too many sleeping pills and Barbies, didn't wake up. Now, what happened with, with Kenneth? Did he uh, part when they all got out yeah, on the grand jury? Kenneth went off and— He's like, look, this is too much heat like, for me. He's like, I can't take it, and he just I gotta limped go back off to my into wife. the sunset. Yeah, exactly. Maybe he went to Australia. Yeah. Um, 45,000 people went to her funeral, huh. and her body lay in state for three days at the temple. Um, it took 11 trucks to transport the $50,000 worth of flowers to the cemetery— that had been sent. Um, and despite her estrangement, her mom attended the funeral. So there were like scammy carnival sideshow corrupt aspects to Amy and her church, but there are also really good things that they did. Yeah, sure. Um, and her church goes strong to this day. The Foursquare denomination has membership of almost 8 million people worldwide. Really? Yeah. Zarin, what's your ridiculous takeaway? 
Oh, wow. I mean, this is a great story. I really enjoyed it. And I'm being, you know, having lived in L.A. for a long time, you definitely hear about her. I've seen photos of her when you start talking, mm-hmm. describing. I remember that. But in, in less grandiloquent terms, <laughs> I would say my ridiculous takeaway is, much like Wiseman, you, everybody, is very lucky that I don't have a twin. Because if I had a twin, <laughs> I would be pulling all kinds of these shenanigans. <laughs> well, you know my twin's a pathological liar. Which one am I? Exactly. You guys, if I was the twin, I'd be lying right now. That's You're right. Like, Who's saying? Exactly. Uh, that's it for today. You can find us online at Ridiculous Crime on both Twitter and Instagram. Email us at RidiculousCrime at gmail.com. Tune in next time. Yeah. Ridiculous Crime is hosted by Elizabeth Dutton and Zarin Burnett, produced and edited by the Right Reverend Dave Couston. Research is by Los Angeles County Special Investigator for the District Attorney, Marissa Brown, and talented choir director, Andrea Song Charpentier. The theme song is by senior lifeguard Thomas Lee and Slaughterhouse Overnight Shift Supervisor Travis Dutton. Executive producers are Thumbless Sisters Ben Bolin and Noel Brown. So if you want to hit us up, you know, we've got these talkbacks you can do on the yes. iHeart app. You can yes. email us at ridiculouscrime at gmail.com. You can also just shout into the wind. You can write a fun rap yes. about us and record write it on, a fun rap. Record on talkback. Please just a do. fun rap. That would be amazing. <laughs> rap, 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 rap. Well, thanks for listening. Hey, everybody. Close your eyes and picture this. A crime podcast full of ridiculousness. On the mic is Darren Burnett, and his funny-ass friend is Elizabeth Dutton. They get you laughing so hard, you'll be in pain. Then you'll split your pants when Elizabeth starts talking about trains. You'll hear impressions, inside jokes. You'll hear some accents. 99% murder-free, and ridiculousness is at 100%. Hey. Ridiculous Crime. Say it one more time. Ridiculous Crime. Ridiculous Crime is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app. Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Imagine you're a fly on the wall at a dinner between the mafia, the CIA, and the KGB. That's where my new podcast begins. This is Neil Strauss, host of To Live and Die in L.A., and I wanted to quickly tell you about an intense new series about a dangerous spy taught to seduce men for their secrets and sometimes their lives. From Tenderfoot TV, this is To Die For. To Die For is available now. Listen for free on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Danielle Moody here, host of the Woke AF Daily podcast. We've been with iHeart for a year, and what a year it has been. As we head deeper into 2024 and yet another life-changing election cycle, Woke AF Daily is here to keep you sane and woke. Make Woke AF Daily your podcast destination for 2024 election news and analysis. Listen to Woke AF Daily Season 5 on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Oh, hi. I'm Rachel Zoe, and my podcast, Climbing in Heels, is back and better than ever. You might know me from the Rachel Zoe Project, or perhaps from my work as a celebrity stylist. And guess what? I'm still just as obsessed with all things fashion, beauty, and business. Climbing in Heels is all about celebrating the stories of extraordinary women, and this season is here to bring you a weekly dose of glamour, inspiration, and fun. Listen to Climbing in Heels every Friday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.